Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we are in southwest Missouri today. Big feat for the podcast today. We have a returning guest. Cameron, we've officially made it uh, to the point where we've had a podcast long enough that we can have somebody back on. And most people won't even remember the first episode, probably. Probably not. (laughs) I think that's a great introduction for our guest today. Uh, Shannon McClintock, I know you gave us your bio before, but uh, quick hit us with it it again. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, So, yeah, I'm the district agronomist for District 7-8. Kind of nine, I guess I can say, since we're in nine today. Yeah, you've uh, invaded the territory. Just, yeah, I'm, just I'm here it. now. So, yep, that's all that matters. Um, and yeah, I manage the crop track program as well as other, you know, district agronomist duties in the region. Cool, cool. We're working on like the green jacket type returning, like SNL host type um, thing, but we, yeah, it's. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually was going to mention that. Uh, yeah. Once we get to five times, I want a five yeah, jacket. A jacket. So. Okay. We'll work on that. We'll see, what we can, <laughs> see what we can do. We'll work on that with our podcast budget. That yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> well, we can start getting some sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the reason we got together today to uh, I think we're, we're, we're what we're planning on doing is is a very timely discussion and and talking a little bit about uh, mid season fungicide use in corn and soybeans. And, and so I, it's a kind of a tough hill to jump off of. Um, but we're sitting here the third week of July. Uh, we're, we're probably past a lot of corn fungicide applications already and and pre a lot of soybean applications. And so I just kind of want to talk about some of the disease pressure, some of the overall fungicide use and kind of have you dive into it a little bit to, so maybe folks can wrap their head a little bit, just kind of why we're putting those products out there why we're trying to match what whatever product to whatever acre and and so forth. So in general I think a good place to start is that I think is it's a it's a good generality to say that we're applying more over the top fungicide today than we were 15 years ago on corn and soybeans. You say that's fair, Shannon? Yeah, I guess I I'll let you speak for that. I haven't been in the industry for 15 years yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we've definitely applied more now than five or six years ago okay. whenever I started with yep. the company. Yep. And um, I think we applied five, more five or six years ago than we did 10 or 15. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we can we can safely make that extrapolation, I think. Yeah, um, I, would, I would agree with that. <laughs> so so why is that? Is it is it a matter of we just have the better equipment to be able to pass that acre better? Do we have that increased disease pressure? Are we getting plant health benefits? Is it different products? Like what is pushing us in this direction? You know, from what I see, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think in anything we do in this industry, it's not just one particular thing that leads to a decision. Sure. Um, There's a lot of factors going to play. I think a lot of uh, industry uh, education has has increased a lot over the last few years. Um, There's obviously been a focus by several chemical companies pushing products, not, not just more products, but better longer, longer acting products. And guys are seeing it firsthand on their farms. Um, I know I wasn't going to talk about it today, but wheat in this part of the world specifically responds a lot to fungicide. Okay. Um, and I think guys seeing that on their wheat, they're wanting to try to push more bushels of their corn, more yield on their beans and fungicides kind of that next step when you're trying to increase yields. So is it safe to say motive action wise and, and combination wise, we've seen better activity on the development front in the last few years on fungicides than we have herbicides? 
Yeah, I mean, historically, um, we've, we've used two two main modes of action in row crops, and that's been threes and elevens, our trizols and our strobies. And then the last, you know, five years or so, uh, companies have really been pushing SDHIs, or group sevens, mm -hmm. which are really specific on what they control, Okay, but they're longer lasting. Right. So right. we're getting that longer residual activity, really starting to um, promote even longer plant health benefits. And really kind of, just kind of tag on that, just so people know, SDHIs are not a new mode of action that we've just found in these last four or five, 10 years, you know, as companies have tried to move it on. They've been around for a really long time. It's just in these last 10 years or so, we've understood, hey, they play a crucial role in kind of more specific diseases that are really impacting us. You know, let's talk about Southern rust, for example. I'm sure we'll cover it, SDHIs do a really good job on that and so we've started incorporating that and moving on okay you know how much do you think and this is i'm going to ask an off the outline question so step back uh <laughs> this is this is unprompted how much do you think uh adoption of yield monitors and staring at yield data has impacted some of these decisions that that we make some of these decisions like fungicide that may have a may have an economical yield benefit but it may not be really legible at the field scale but when you start looking at yield data and if you've got a check strip or something it may blow off the page do you think that kind of stuff impacts a usage or kind of a grower perception of things adoption yeah i definitely think so i mean historically before the the yield monitor you weigh it and dump it into a trailer right. and you're going off a scale on your green cart that may not be accurate you may be going off you know multiple different numbers you're just sitting in the tractor in the combine cab trying to roughly figure it um, you might, well, it's just, you know, a few hundred pounds. It's not that big of a deal. Sure. But I think when guys can physically see, you know, a yield difference on their monitor in front of them between where they know they put it on, where they didn't, I, I definitely do think that plays a key part. And yeah. I think, I think, you know, just producers, I mean, we've always been trying to push yields. I mean, every oh, producer for, since the beginning has been trying to get more and more. But I think guys have started to understand kind of, okay, this is where my N, P, and K is, and this is where I feel like I've been able to push What's something different? And so, you know, we've went through the phase of seed treatments, and I think people feel comfortable with seed treatments on soybeans. They need that to be able to help push yield. Now we're, you know, we're seeing fungicides. I, we still have a lot of untreated acre, um, and I mean, we'll touch on that, I'm sure, but people are seeing the benefit of that. And it's just like biologicals. You know, we see a lot of biologicals coming into the fold foliar fertilizers. I mean, we're not talking about that today, but that's kind yeah. of the new thing people are bringing on, and I think people are starting to, they feel more comfortable with their fertility and trying to push the yield down. How do I push the envelope even further? What can sure. I bring on, yep. you know, to make that happen? Yep. Yep. And by, like you said, by having a yield monitor and actually being able to see that, you know, it just gives them that extra boost, like instant feedback. You don't have to right. call for a way wagon. In oh, order to so get on this 40, yeah. I didn't decide not to spray the fungicide on this one. I did. And man, yep. I feel like I'm seeing 10, 15 bushel increase. Right. Sure. You know? Yeah. Right. When we look at, when we look at a growing season, we're sitting down our making cropping plans. When we get to the timing of fungicides, that's not a necessary expense that we have to be made. So depending on what's going on for the season, right. normally fungicides are one of the first things to get cut out. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of plays a tie into decision making or whether or not they're going to adopt it on their farm or not. So, yeah, understood. Um, understood. Your operating line is well above zero by the time you get to fungicide right. timing. Right. So I... <laughs> Camera's chuckling because I can understand. I can understand these. I mean, I know these conversations. I understand it firsthand for sure. So I, I get it. Um, okay, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But let's dive off into to corn a little bit and and talk about. Like I said, I think a lot of applications have been out in the last in the last two to three weeks. Uh, seen a lot of planes in the air. So 
Um, talk about that timing a little bit and, and for our geography, kind of why, why does that work? Um, seems like a lot of guys are applying close to tassel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so down here in my part of the world, um, most of our disease pressure is late season disease. We do have a couple scenarios where we are see gray leaf spot show up, you know, more of that V5, V6 timing. And that's more one-offs. Those are fields that we're scouting, you know, timely scouting to see if we need to apply that early fungicide or not. Um, and the reason why we're seeing it there is either a corn on corn or a no-till situation okay. where we may have a higher uh, chance of disease because fusarium causes our our uh, great leaf spot and it overwinters here. Okay. And that's not something that seed treatments can have any effect on? Not, not uh, okay. normally, no. Okay. Um, so there may be an instance where we have to make that early application, but most of the time we're looking at the BT time frame. Okay. Um, BT to brown silks okay. is generally our time frame for okay. getting our fungicide on. And really our main driver here is southern rust. Okay. Uh, we, we do see a little northern. Um, sometimes gray leaf can move in you know, late enough where we're maybe making an application for that, but most of the time it's southern rust. Okay. That, um, that's the disease that, so you're targeting um, an infestation of that or you're targeting prevention of that disease? Uh, and kind of how do you look at those two things? The goal is prevention. Okay. Um, but, and, you know, in some cases we do have to come in and, you know, kind of clean up what's already. Make what's a rescue already, application right, or something. Right. Okay. Um, one of the nice things about southern rust is it blows in from the south. It doesn't overwinter here, so there's a lot of agronomists out here that are reporting it, and so we we're able to track that disease pressure. Okay. We're tracking weather. We're trying to stay in front of the curve, so whenever the corn gets to the right growth stage, we kind of know where that disease is at in terms of how close it is to us and what the weather's, weather's looking like so we can make that application. Right, so when you talk about weather and southern rust, can you kind of talk about some of those parallels? What weather conditions kind of bring it on and then what weather conditions also cause it to move across the landscape better, it seems like. Yeah, so southern rust, um, like most diseases, likes moisture. Sure. Likes humid weather and, you know, 85, 90 degrees, which is most of the time what we have this time of year. Right. Um, severe thunderstorms can really promote it just because that those storms normally come in from the south. Okay. Blowing it in with it as it moves up. Okay. Um, and then once it's here, it can take, you know, 10, 14 days before it actually, before we actually see that pustule. Okay. So the kind of life cycle disease, once you see the lesion, once you see the pustule, you're already kind of on the tail end of the disease. It's in the reproductive stages. I got you. So kind of like when we see weeds, once weeds are up, we see them. Yeah. So some of these SDHIs that we talk about, they're going to be kind of that more of that preventative so we can put it on before we actually see the disease that kind of protect ourselves from, okay. from development. I right. Yeah. And that's one thing I was going to say is, you know, we talk about, you know, we've, we talk about herbicides and a lot of people know a lot about herbicides and using different mode of actions and, you know, um, having premixes and why, why are we trying to have, you know, multiple uh, mode of action within it so we can help control um, different species of weeds from coming up and stuff. It's the same thing with fungicides is, so we're thinking, we need to think about, you know, these mixes that we have, most of them are threes and sevens, our threes and elevens, we're starting to see some sevens. Um, just for an example, Trivapro um, is a three, seven, and eleven. So we have a premix that has all three of them in it. Okay. And so my point is, is these different modes of action, some of them are preventative. So th they're preventing the the fungus, the fungus from growing once it gets on the plant. If those spores blow in, it's helping to prevent it from moving on. But then some of these modes of actions are curative. So when the disease is there, you know, it's going to kill what's on it. And so 
it's kind of one of those things where you can kind of think, you know, um, germoxone, for instance, if you were spraying germoxone on it, you're going to see exactly where it's killing on that, where it's hitting on that plant, it's going to leave the mark and that's where it's killing on the plant. It's the same thing with kind of a curative fungicide is, is it's going to kill the spores that are there. It's not necessarily going to take what blows in afterwards. Right. And I'm kind of glad you mentioned that. When you think of it, the curative, we're not actually curing that leaf. Correct. Once we have a lesion or once we have a pustule, that spot's going to stay on that leaf for the rest of the season. Um, one of the, and one of the biggest reasons why we're applying a fungicide for a, a gray leaf spot, a northern corn leaf blight, or a southern rust, is we're trying to protect as much as that leaf as possible because that leaf is our solar panel for our energy for photosynthesis. Very important for grain fill. We're trying to alleviate as much stress as we can. I mean, when you think about the reproductive stages of corn, I mean, during peak, we're, we're using close to half an inch of water a day. Okay. And so we need as much photosynthesis area, as much solar panel area to produce as much photosynthesis as possible. Um, and that's kind of the, that's the reasoning why we're wanting to push these fungicides. And so are we only protecting the leaves that we're actually hitting with the product? Is that why we're waiting for maximum, basically maximum growth before you're applying it? Or what's the thought process there? All right. So similar to, similar to wheat, our two most important leaves on a corn plant is that very top one, okay. which is why we want to wait till VT. We want to make, for, make sure it's fully out. Okay. And then the other one is probably the most important, which is going to be the largest leaf on the plant, and that'll be your ear leaf. Okay. So we've got to make sure both of those leaves are out, so we're at least protecting those, if okay. not everything. I got you. Okay. No, um, and makes sense. we're going to talk about application, different ways to applicate here in a little bit, and that's one of the things that kind of holds us up on maybe some fungicides as well, fungicide okay. applications. Okay. Okay. So before we get into that, let's, let's jump to products on corn real quick. And I, and Cameron talked about it a little bit, but the active ingredients in fungicides are insane mouthfuls. And so we'll, we're using acronyms and I know you will use acronyms and things, but try to define it as best as possible and, and give some product names as well too. But the, um, without giving me the, 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 the jumble because because uh, they get kind of crazy but but what products are we typically applying at, at VT on corn well I mean most of our fungicides are triazoles okay. or strobilins okay. and then SDHIs and you ask okay. me not to say that yeah I, please I, don't. I don't know that I, I can't say the word so I, so yeah, I just know that's it's why an I know. yeah it's, so, it's yeah they get crazy so um, but I mean those are the three main okay. active I mean those are the three main classes of active ingredients. Okay. There's triazoles, okay. strobilones, and SDHIs. Okay. Okay. Right. And so a lot of times when guys because fungicides, fungicides is one of those markets where you can easily get into the generic market. Sure. Yep. So you names Yeah, I names know. Names are out the window. Yep. So the first thing I start doing when I start hearing some of these odd things, I start looking at the modes of action. Okay. okay. What's in it? Start looking at the active. Um, I use CDMS.net a lot this time of year. Try to figure out what the active is, what it's comparable to, okay, and seeing you know how much product we're getting out there. Okay, um, a lot of common ones that we're pushing right now. You know, Triber Pro is our big one for corn. Okay, it's our three modes of action. We talked about a little bit while ago. Um, Delaro Complete is another good product with Bayer, Revitech with BASF and Veltima, and Veltima are another two newer products that have all three modes of action. Okay, um, really, that's where the the market's kind of gone in the last few years, and a lot of these are crop specific as well. Okay. Okay. So when we go to make that application of that fungicide at, at VT, um, let's go in a little bit to 
what is typically because I know a lot of it gets applied aerially. Um, and then what's in there in the tank with it? Is it just water? What's our uh, gallon per acre rate? Are most folks running? And kind of walk us through some of that. Yeah. So corn most commonly is applied with either a plane or a helicopter. Okay. Um, ideally, we'd like to get a ground rig across it just for coverage purposes. Right. But that's not not very feasible down yeah. here. Right. Um, I know, I think there's been some research. I think there may be some things maybe come down the pipeline and maybe some shorter corn mm -hmm. it could possibly, but you know, that's years away. Sure. So typically our corn fungicides put on with an airplane. Um, and depending on, depending on the pilot, we're running anywhere from two to three gallons of water. Okay. Um, obviously we're not running that 10 to 15 that we're constantly preaching on herbicides. Right. And when the guys ask me if it's, it's good, honestly, I don't think so, but it's what we have to work with. Sure. Um, the more water we can put on, the better. Yeah, it's all it's all about coverage. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the more the better. So, but typically, guys are running two to three gallons. Um, and your comment of what's in the tank, typically just the fungicide. Okay. Um, this is also a time frame where you know we have a similar to this year, a really good looking corn crop, good market prices. Um, if we treated our base fertility right, this may be a time where we start adding maybe a foliar fertilizer to kind of add add that extra that extra bushel or two okay um but in terms of um in terms of adjuvants, adjuvants or anything nothing nothing yeah. okay yeah. if we put adjuvants in the tank we could see potential uh harm to the ear development okay we start seeing bottlenecked ears and that's not something we want sure sure okay right and that and we've done some data we've done some research on that and that's really it's really dependent on the timing of that corn i mean you know if you're trying to push the envelope and you know there's a Everybody's on a time schedule, right? So the plane has a time schedule and everything. So if you're trying to be early on the early side, um, and if you get there, you know, slightly before VT or on that early side of VT, and say you have an NI, you have a product that has an NIS in there, you can see arrested ear development okay. uh, in the corn, and so it will um, basically it just won't produce an ear. Um, it may you'll see the cob itself, but all the kernels on it will be dead. I got you. Um, so okay, um, that's that's why. I mean, we do. Ha there is some products that kind of are drift suppressants and stuff. You know, just because of plane, you got yeah. a lot. But yeah, it's not a common thing to be in the in there with those applications. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Most of the time, we the only two products that we see is the fungicide and uh, a foliar. Okay. The foliar fertilizer. Okay. Okay. So. Um, we talked a little bit about this um, when we talked about the operating notes. What? <laughs> um, talk to me about because I've heard both ways on this. Um, talk to me about kind of roughly, um, and I know this depends on what product you use and everything and and all that. But kind of what it costs per acre, and then are most guys leaving check strips, or do you recommend leaving a check strip? Are we past that point with with foliar fungicides? Just run me through your logic that you would use with a grower a little bit on that. Well, you kind of answer to yourself. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cost, I mean, cost can cost this, uh, can be anywhere from $10. Generally, it's $10 for application, $8 to $10 somewhere yep, in that time for, a plane. for that right. price range. Yep. Um, and chemical cost could be, you know, kind of the same thing. It could be 10 to 15 bucks. Just depends on the product. Okay. Depends on you know, kind of where we're at in the season, if we're on the front end of it and it's looking like it's going to be a bad disease year, it's probably going to pay to spend that extra dollar. Sure. To put the better product out there. Right. But if for now I'm seeing planes fly today and we're, 
I've looked at some corn years ago that there's milk. We're on the tail end of it, but we still have disease pressure showing up. Maybe we go for that cheaper option. We don't need that longer control, but we just got to protect what's there now to get okay. us through another couple of weeks. Okay. So it depends. That's the classic <laughs> answer in agronomy. Um, I thought you were better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just de- depends on a lot of different circumstances yeah. that you have to walk through. Oh, absolutely. Um, and to make that make that that decision, be able to make a mindful decision. When it comes to leaving test strips, again, it depends. Um, it, I talked to you know several guys on wheat this year that they left some check strips and it, it paid big this year. Yeah, is it going to pay every year? I don't know the answer to that. You don't know the answer to that. But how are you going to be able to determine yeah. what year it does pay? Yeah. So it's one of those things right. is just trust it. In the year that it does pay, it's going to pay for multiple years worth. It's that's kind of how I look at it. Right. Right. Because your disease pressure, it's not a it's not a constant. Disease pressure, I guess, is not constant. Right. But the one and thing so, you can do is constantly budget for it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. And but you know, that being said, a lot of guys like to try try things on their own farm. And I respect that one hundred percent. And if you've got if you got a way to, to capture that data well and, and keep track of it, um, make sure what you've done at the end of the season pays, then yeah. then I think you should. And I know we put a lot of time and research into strip trials, but the real the realism of strip trials is that's one year specific. Yes. Right? Being able to replicate this year, next year is very difficult. Um, so just because something works one year doesn't mean it's going to work next year. And that's just, that's 100%. just the, then a lot of that goes back to mother nature. Yeah. Cause I mean, you could have a big Southern rust here and then the next year it could turn off hot and dry and we don't hardly have any Southern rust. Well, yeah. I mean, right. You know, you may not see the fungicide pay nearly as well. Right. right. So, now with that being said, I mean, you know, it is a year where it's hot and dry. We don't have any late season moisture and the corn's like it's going to burn up. Is it going to make sense to put a fungicide out there? No. Probably not. Yeah. Right. But where we're getting these timely rains, and we know when we get to this time of year whether or not it's going to. Yeah. You, right now, you know you have a corn crop in the field right. to protect. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. you, that, that that box is checked right. at this point. Right. So, yep, absolutely. What are we missing before we move on to soybeans? Not, uh, nothing. I, th- I mean, I think we, I think we kind of covered it. Um, you know, on the timing, like Shannon said, you know, that VT to the R2 time frame, that's what we've seen in our trials that we've done. Um, I've done for the last three years in small pot stuff, I've done fungicide timing where I've done an application at the V6, I've done it at V10 to V11, kind of that early front piece mm-hmm. where some of these fungicide new labels are sh- kind of showing you can start applying fungicide at that time and then applying at VT, R1, R2, R3, R4 just going down through every R stage. And what we've seen over the last three years is consistently that VT to the R2, just kind of that is really the sweet spot um, on corn. And so, you know, if you can hit that VT time frame, obviously that's ideal, but um, you still have time to get it on and still be able to pay dividends, even if you're a little bit later in the season, like we said. So, How long of a window does that give you? So how, how long are we typically talking from VT to, to R2 in corn? Well, we were VT in this part of the world Three weeks ago, okay. And I say we're R three this week, okay. Yeah. Uh, pretty close, pretty average across the region. I was gonna say it's probably. I would say usually fourteen days or so. Yeah, okay. 14, 14, 14, 20 days. Yeah, yeah. two okay. or three weeks. Yeah, okay. I'd say the applications me and made this week on corn is gonna be the last. I mean, after this week, we're gonna be for down here. Yeah, you're over for down here, and I mean, obviously, it's different. I mean, you know, closer to um, Columbia and you know that kind of area where it was wet and we've got a lot of replants. I mean, mm-hmm. we got guys that are still putting on post herbicides in some places because they just sure sure you know, so yeah. um 
you still got time to plan and you got things to think about. Right, right. But it is something you need to, to kind of know is coming and, and budget for, like what you said, because if you've only got a two-week window, it's hard to... Yep. Um, that, that can be hard to hit if you're like, oh, I've, I need to go look at it or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it's and this could be one of my plugs for crop track. I mean, this is one of the the biggest timings that crop track pays for itself, and that's fungicide timing. I mean, weed weed control is very important, but fungicide timing and getting on at the right time is yeah. night and day difference on return on investment. You put a fungicide on a BTR one, your return on investment is going to be higher than at R three R four. Yeah, absolutely. And once you see planes flying. You're probably you're going to be on the last on the list, and it's going to be on there late. So um, that is, you know, one way scouting pays for itself. For sure, for sure, it's a it's a timeliness yep. thing for sure. Yep. Okay. Cool. Let's shift gears. Um, soybeans. Um, talk a little bit about timing and kind of where we're at now. And I know you're you're accelerated in your part of the world compared to some other parts of the state. Um, well, I guess maybe kind not. Because you've got a lot of double crop beans. Yeah, yeah, you've got double crop beans coming on too. But anyway, talk a little bit about timing and um, disease pressure, um, w- what we're out there trying to get, basically. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. So soybeans right now, we have beans anywhere from R2 yeah. to planted last week in this point. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, some have been planted since April and others get planted in the middle of July. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of the nature of this of our territory down here we have a lot of weed acres that impacts that that later planted bean um typically our timing for our fungicides our applied fungicides is going to be that r2 to r3 okay um a lot of our seed treatments on our soybeans have fungicides and that takes care of a lot of our early season disease um a lot of a lot of phytophthora um pythium things like that right um and typically we don't see a lot of disease pressure in our soybeans until late season would you possibly see some septoria brown spot that starts the lower canopy work its way up? Okay. We may make an early application based on scouting for it, but typically the beans are growing fast enough that we're at growing that that disease pressure. Okay. Um, but our our main time frame is that R two to R three time frame. And can you define that in terms of flowering and pod set for me? We throw R and B terms around a lot. Some people know them, some people don't. You're right. So our R1 is the start of flower. Okay. So that's when we're seeing a flower any point on that plant. Okay. Um, so that could that could be very short or very right. or reasonably tall. Right. Okay. Uh, most of our beans are indeterminate, so right. they can start flowering when they're a foot tall. Right. It just depends on planting date and variety, sure. and there's a lot of factors going yep. to that. Yep. Um, our R2 is what we call full flower, and that's when we're going to have you know a bloom in the top four nodes of that plant. Okay. Um, we could be at R1 for three weeks before we get to R2. We could be at R2 for three weeks before we get to R3. It just yeah. depends on the growing season. It sure. depends on the environment, the okay. variety. And then R3 is where we're actually getting pods on that plant. Okay. We're seeing a pod at least, I believe it's a 16th of an inch or yeah. three-eighths in that top top four nodes. Okay. Um, and our biggest reasoning for timing that is that's where we're going to, that R3 time frame is where we're going to have the most pods and blooms on that plant at one time. Okay. So soybean fungicides, we're protecting ourselves from disease, but we also see a lot of plant health benefits okay. when it comes to soybean. A lot of you know water efficiency. Um, we we really uh, mitigate stress on the plant with fungicides, um, especially in our hot hot dry summers. Yeah. Okay. So we're trying to prevent we're trying to prevent bloom loss because once we lose a bloom, we lose a pod. We lose a yeah. pod. We lose yield. For sure. Um, and a pod pod is about a bushel. Of yield on a plant is okay. usually what we estimate. A three a three bean pod is typically a bushel. So I think what I hear you telling me is that 
even with very little disease pressure, right. you're actually getting enough plant health benefits to justify an application. Yeah, so typically our, our biggest disease pressure is going to be frogline leaf spot in this okay. part of the world. We don't see it a lot, and we don't see it every year. Um, it's one of those that's kind of, thankfully, stayed more in the boot hill and hasn't made its way over here yet. I'm not saying we don't have little pockets of it, um, but typically disease pressure isn't what warrants our fungicide applications. Okay. Um, a lot of times what we see is we're making that trip across the field for pod feeders with an insecticide. We're already going across the field. Mm -hmm. Can we add a fungicide to the tank to make the beans better? I got you. Right, is what we see a lot of, um, which is kind of the opposite of what we see in other crops. Yeah. Uh, we have to kind of remind them, hey, you got to put that insecticide in. So this right. one's, they're this going one's... for it with the insecticide. Okay. And we're adding the fungicide as well. I got you. Okay. Um, that being said, if you're making a fungicide application, don't leave out the insecticide. Right. Because we can be promoting a, a habitat for insects to come and could actually cause a flare-up that could require a second application. Okay. So what you're telling me is that R3 timing, R2 to R3 timing is also when we want... Right. That's also, so, that's also when we ramp up our scouting for insect pressure. Okay. Our pod worms, our army worms, our stink bugs. Right. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand with each other. Okay. Soybeans. Okay. Okay. And so, it goes back to what we talked about um, while going corn. There's a big difference when you put that fungicide on at R2, R3 than when you do R3, R4 in terms of return on investment. Correct. And we've seen that with same thing like on the corn we have we have data on the soybeans on the same fungicide timing we're seeing that r2 r3 time frame is the ideal time for fungicide applications in soybeans okay um i mean from a yield return basis. from a yield return okay. basis standpoint yes is that that's the optimal timing yeah. okay so if you're getting to that if you're getting that late r3 that r4 time frame more than likely it's going to be need to be disease pressure to right. justify an application okay. just a fungicide. Right. If you start getting late and you have insects coming in, I would spray the insecticide and possibly leave the fungicide out of the tank. Okay. Okay. Unless you have extreme disease. Unless pressure. you have something yeah. that you've scouted and it knows there. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about products on soybeans. Um, what are you typically, is it the same product that we're using on corn? Um, different products? What What's out there? What are you typically recommending? So yeah, a lot of it's the same modes of action. Okay. It's our Drysols, our Strobies, our SDHIs. Okay. Um, some companies have cross platforms where they're applying the same fungicide on on our uh, corn and beans. Uh, Syngenta, is one of the few that have you know a crop specific fungicide. It has an SDHI in all of them. Okay. But the SDHI is specific for diseases in the crop. Correct. Okay. So Tribapro is what we would use in corn. But Miravis Top is what we would use in soybeans. And they also have the Miravis Ace that we use in wheat. Okay. All very similar. The only big difference is our SDHI and what that SDHI does for that plant. Okay. Right. And like we said, or like I said earlier, SDHIs have been around a long time, but they are very specific on what they help prevent. And so okay. that's kind of why Syngenta has went that route with them is because they have kind of deemed this SDHI is good on Southern Rust. This SDHI helps with frog eye, uh, frog eye on soybeans, and you know this SDHI, you know, in wheat helps with um, head scab. So, yep. um, you know that that's where the SDHIs are coming into play. Is they're very specific on their disease yep. spectrum. The spectrum of disease control that they have is very narrow. Okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cameron, but SDHIs have been popular for a long time, but they've been more popular in our orchards. Yeah, in orchards and fruits and vegetables. Yeah, it's where they kind of shine the last. 10, 15 years. Okay. Okay. 
So, I mean, obviously, if if you had the choice, you'd want one of those crop specific products is what is what I'm hearing you say then. Um, but if you know, we all know this year has been kind of crazy for acquiring product. Correct. Yep. Um, is it is it kind of a get what you can thing or or are you really looking for one of those three modes of action products? It depends. Okay. Um, depends on our disease pressure. Okay. I mean, if disease pressure is low and we're wanting to put a fungicide on, we're going to want to go with the group 11 or our strobe, which okay. is basically a preventative. Okay. It's, as long as we don't have disease pressure in the field, it's going to help protect anything else from coming in. Um, if we know we have disease pressure, we're going to want to go with the group 3 or a trizole. And if we can, we'll want to try to pair those two together. Okay. 3 and 11. Okay. Um, there's not enough generic out there of SDHIs to have a, a generic that has all three. Okay. So right. most of our generics on the market is either going to be a 3, 11, or a 3 and 11. A 3 and 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. But not the newer. Right. Okay. I got you. What else is in the tank with, with it? So like I said a while ago, we're going to have insecticide. Insecticide. Yep. And the fungicide. Typically, it's like corn. We don't we don't put any, any uh, adjuvants in the tank. Okay. Um most of the time our soybeans are just going to be applied with the ground rig just because right. we know coverage with the ground rig is a lot better than it is with an airplane um, there are some there are some years where it's wet we can't get across it with the ground rig we have insects we have to do it with the plane okay um so we, we see a little bit we see a little bit of everything on soybeans um, but most of the time it is a ground rig and we're applying at least 10 gallons of water okay right so coverage usually is an issue on that yep. okay should should in theory mean be better yeah. If you're grinding it over Correct. with the rig. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 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 Anything else in the, is that get too crazy if we try to do some foliar stuff that time of year or what, or is it, are you too late or what's, what's your thought on putting something like that in the tank with it? No, definitely same with the same thought process that we see in corn um, or any of our crops where, when we're talking about foliar. Um, a foliar isn't, when we're talking about foliar, we're not talking about a rescue treatment for some deficiency. Yeah. Um, when, when a producer is taken, you know, the proper mean, we have proper, proper uh, fertility from the get-go. We've had good growing conditions. We've got a good crop. We've got a good stand. We know yield potential is very high. It's, I like to think of it as, you know, a properly cooked cake. When you, when you get a good baked cake, that's the right moisture, the right texture, you bite into it. Is it really good? Oh yeah. But if you put icing on it, does it make it just a little bit better? That's how I like to think of foliars. Okay. So that, just think of that foliar as an icing on the cake after a really good year. Okay. Gotcha. And with $14 soybeans, uh, you don't have to have it as good a little of a, sweeter. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't <laughs> have to have as good of a cake. I'm trying to think about how to tag onto your, uh, your very good analogy there. But, uh, but yeah, so, okay, cool. Before we move on, any other things? What did we miss um, on, the, on the soybean front as far as going through them? So timing and, and juxtaposition to, to kind of now, I, I mean, you're looking at, at these applications in the next couple of weeks here, probably. Yeah. So I think we have some soybean stuff lined up for next week. We have some beans getting close to R3. Okay. Um, seems like fungicide on soybeans is going to go lag on from now till sure. middle into August. Planning discrepancies. Um, and then double crop beans, it just depends on the season. If okay. we get that late August rain, then... You know, some guys may spend the money on, on their double crop beans. Um, but we're coming, we're getting very close to the timing for, for those applications down here. Um, I think the biggest thing I want to hit on is the water use efficiency. It's not something that's talked about a lot of fungicide, especially when you, you know, talk to universities and stuff, because they're strictly talking about, you know, 
they're trying to prevent um, resistance to diseases like we have in herbicides with a lot of our or in weeds with a lot of our herbicides um, there's a lot of data out there that shows there is there is just a plant health benefit when we apply some of these fungicides on on uh, on soybeans mm-hmm. and you know it's july we, we're gonna have a hot dry spell it, it would always happen it's gonna happen we've it's, already had one so I mean, we can back the other way we can so. do anything we can to help retain yep. those blooms on that plant to help yep. increase yield that's what we need to be doing okay right and the only other thing that i would say that i wanted to touch base on is is let's talk a little bit about SDS and soybeans because a lot of times SDS is something people are starting to see now and they're thinking to themselves, hey, I can rescue it with a fungicide treatment. And that's not true. And so um, I just want to touch on, look, when you see SDS in your soybeans, you can't rescue it with a fungicide treatment at this point in time. SDS actually infects the plant early on, um, early on in the season. So your control for SDS is going to be um, either some sort of seed treatment product or, um, you know, just having the right genetics within that seed, you know, right. genetic choice of what seed you're planting um, okay. for SDS resistance. And so, I mean, I, you know, you hear people talking about, well, what is this? It's SDS. Well, can I apply fungicide? It's just want to make sure because that's this is about the time it's starting to be visual, you know, that R2, R3, a little bit later in the season. Right. How can we do something about it? Well, it's not a decision that needs to be made now. It's a decision that you need to make. Well, keep good records and and know that you had that in that Correct. field for the for the next exactly time. so yep. yeah it's it's about making sure you know your field history so you know hey i've got a problem i've had a problem in this field before this i need to be proactive in this field so i don't have this problem later in the season mm-hmm. exactly and just a sds being sudden death syndrome right. yes so yeah. correct yep and there's direct correlation between soybean sense nematodes and sudden death syndrome but okay. you can also have sudden death syndrome without having um, the nematodes in the field as well. Okay. It just, a lot of it depends on early early weather patterns. If we have a lot of rain, um, you know, a hail event, something that could potentially scar that plant early season, stress it out enough early season, yep. we can see uh, we can see sudden death later, later in the season. Yeah. Right, and I guess I'll just say the two products that I know of on the market that at least we've done work with and that we know that do help with SDS is Olivo and um, Saltrail. Yep. So those are the two products that are out there that do help prevent SDS and soybeans. Okay. So something to take note of for the next time you rotate back into beans in that spot then. Yep. So, okay. Good stuff. Okay. Let's go into some of the things that I've heard that may or may not be right. Um, um, that's why I have you guys, right? Uh, so resistance um, and, and talking, and I think I think a lot of this comes from um, from the herbicide side of things, and that folks are so ingrained that um, a little bit like you've talked about in fungicides. You know, years ago we had single mode of action products, Roundup, those kind of things that just worked every single time, right? And but then we had to go to a double mode of action or a triple mode of action product. Um, and it seems like that's what we've done in fungicides as well. Are we battling the same resistance fight in fungicides or is there a different reasoning behind that triple mode of action product? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, my part of the world specifically, um, I don't think we're battling a whole lot of resistance. Um, I know you get down into the Southeast for all I least spot soybeans. That's, that was one of the big reasons why Miravis top came on the market is okay. to help combat um, some of that resistant frog eye leaf spot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not sure on Northern, if there's any resistant Northern in the North. I'm not sure on that. Um, but I do think the frog eye issue in the South has... The frog eye issue is the one that I know of the biggest. Is it's kind of Southeast, Boot Hills, Southern Illinois. There's a lot There's okay. resistance in the frog eye. And okay. so we don't see it at all, but uh, soybean Asian rust as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that is something that people are... We need to be conscious of. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, we haven't seen a whole lot of it here. Okay. And so are we... Are we doing better by applying those multiple action motive action products or how, how do we mitigate for some of that resistance then uh, a lot of it's gonna be crop rotation okay we see that we see that um with just about anything is crop rotation and then when we're using when we're using our fungicides making sure we're using them properly okay if we're if it's supposed to be used as a preventative before disease pressure shows up we need to make sure we're doing that and not you know trying to rescue a, a mess because okay. similar in our weeds well, you know, when we're spraying a weed that's five times, ten times too big, and we kind of halfway kill it, but if we don't completely kill it, that's when we start introducing some of that resistance into the mm -hmm. into the uh, uh, cycle. Okay. Okay. So broad scale use of fungicides, um, you think we're going to see more resistance come down the pipe? What do you think that's kind of doing to our fungal diseases that are out there? Uh Honestly, I think that our untreated acres are is the biggest piece with fungicides. I don't know that we're I don't know that we're ramping up fun I don't know that we're ramping up resistance by the fungicides that's being used right now exponentially like we did with glyphosate. Okay. Um a lot of that's because it's not being because, used because we're not you know, we're not not every acre is getting hit with a fungicide. Sure. sure. So I I mean our untreated acre is a huge part of the fungicide piece and so do I believe that we can get resistance? Yes, obviously, because we have frog eye leaf spot resistance. Yes. Um, but is do I think it's exponentially going to build as fast as some of these, you know, weed species that we have? No, because we're just not covering as many acres right. as fast with these fungicides as we are. Right. And like we've talked about, we're most generally the fungicides we're using have multiple modes of action. And so you're have you're gonna have they're gonna have to overcome two modes of action. To build resistance um, in that aspect. Yep. Okay. It might be a good project for an intern, but I honestly don't know if I could tell you the number of treated acres that that receive fungicide each year. Yeah. Um, and kind of what that percentage would be would be an. Interesting I think it's going to be like crop dependent, but I I, I mean, wheat obviously is going to be higher just because it responds to higher management better. Yeah. Like corn and soybeans, I'd be shocked if it's fifty percent of the acres. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Right. And I agree with that. And I, I think, I mean, you know, just some of the things we talked about, fungicides is one of those things that, you know, it's price dependent on, you know, where you're at on the bottom, you mm -hmm. know, your bottom line when it comes to that time of year. Usually fungicides, like we said, is the first thing to get kicked out because it's the last thing in the year before the combine's going to run through the field. Uh, do I really want to spend this money? Or, hey, is like we said, is beans at $14, is corn at $7, or okay. is it at $3 and beans are at nope. $7? Yep. Um, you know, it's one of those things, you know, so one, one thing I forgot to mention, and I, I think it's because I forgot to even put it in my notes. Um, do you see differences in, um, either hybrid or maturity group, uh, like maturity group for soybeans or, or hybrid for soybeans or corn as far as response to, and I know they all have a rating, you know, for, for disease pressure. But do you see differences in response to, to fungicide application? Oh, most definitely. And a lot of that goes back to, you know, each hybrid, each variety is different. 
Okay. Um, they have different resistant packages. Right. Um, it, it, the, and they'll, a lot of our, a lot of the seed salesmen, um, a lot of agronomists will be upfront with you. Like when they have a, a hybrid that's known to be a, a racehorse or do really well, but also require a lot of management. And what they mean by a lot of management is most likely a fungicide application or two. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is, you, your return on investment is going to be different, um, depending on the hybrid or the variety. Okay. Um, but traits and breeding does play a part in that. Yeah, I would just I would just build on that. Just the last two years in our small plot replicated trials, we've been doing that with our more corn li- more corn and more soy lineup. Is we've been taking our commercial the commercial lineup that we have, and we've been upon we've been in, within a trial have untreated versus treated, so we can see the variety by fungicide interaction and which which varieties on both corn and soybeans are interacting with fungicides. And I can tell you that just compiled of the last two years, and we've got it again this year, so we'll have three years of data on it, on it. but some of the varieties have maybe zero to two bushel increase, and then some of these varieties may have 15 to 20 bushel increase. It's just, that there's that big of a difference depending wow. on what the variety is. Okay. And so, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we talk about fungicide trials and we say, you know, generally speaking, you may see seven to 10 bushels on corn, you may see three to four bushels on soybeans by applying fungicide. While generally speaking, in a relative turn, that's correct. But depending on where you, what your variety is, you may see that swing difference. You know, uh, where the average is. Okay. So that's interesting. It's definitely good, good data for a um, you know a seed seller or somebody like that to have in reminder, or at least be able to pass that information over. Yeah. Uh, you know where our hybrids go and right and and what management needs to follow those. Yeah. And even if a grower's not buying, don't I'm not saying they should. Don't do it. Not buying seed from us. <laughs> <laughs> you most websites you can go online and you can see the ratings for dis- different diseases, right? And potential, right? Right? Yeah, for sure. So, guys, what did we miss? Um, I'm gonna let you kind of dive into to whatever you think we missed, and I, I want to cover one more quick thing, but um, but I'll let you dive in first. Um, I think a lot of it when we go back to fungicides and whether or not they pay or they're doing any good, it goes back to timing. Okay. Um, being proactive is a, anything we do in life. Being proactive is better than being reactive. Um, sometimes there is a scenario where we have to go in and we have to react, like now, where we still could see a potential return on investment and we have disease pressure. Um, but if we can be ahead of the curve, it's going to be a lot better. You'll be able to sleep better at night than if you're behind the curve. Okay. Um, scouting, this, this is the time of year scouting plays a key part because we just finished up with wheat harvest. We had double crop bean planting going on. We had corn tasseling. Um, we got beans getting ready to enter, enter the reproductive stages. On top of that, there's hay being put down. Yeah. There's family vacations going on. I was just going to say vacations. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on right now. And I yep. know a lot of guys don't have time and that's where having paying someone to be in the field, looking at your crop every week really pays dividends. Yeah. I think Shannon nailed it on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent. The the one thing I wanted to cover real quick is that you'll hear um, people covering from a conservation perspective. You will hear people uh, in the soil health realm talk about um, the negatives of of over fungicide use, and I just wanted to hit on that real quick um, because you'll hear people discuss that, and and I don't I don't condone unnecessary applications. However. Um, None of that has ever really been proven. Uh, any of our foliar fungicide use really hasn't shown to have any effect uh, on soil biology, um, soil mycorrhizae. 
um, especially those late season applications um, because very little of that product is actually landing on the soil um, when we're applying product to a, a full canopied crop. I would much more worry about uh, foliar applying a fungicide pre-plant than I would uh, at full crop canopy because you know like like we mentioned on corn you're looking at three to four gallons an acre sprayed over the a tasseling corn crop what percentage of that product is actually going to reach the ground very little very little yeah um and so there, there's been a lot of university work on it um and and so far there's there's really no major direct correlation um so i just wanted to to touch on it. either of you guys have a comment on that i just wanted to bring it up because it, it gets brought up I, I, there's quite a few 30 inch beans but for the most part kind of bean spacing has been 15 yeah. 15 to seven and a half inches and beans that are flowering you're not touching the soil. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a reason why a lot of our herbicides say V3 is a cutoff is because yeah. they know there's a lot of drilled beans out there. Yeah. The herbicide is never going to reach your ground. Right. It's not going to work. Right. So why would you spray it? Right. Right. Same same scenario with the with the fungicide right. thought process. So anyway, just wanted to cover that real quick before we quit. Um, Shannon, thank you, man. Th this has been really, really good. Um, I think an awesome discussion, a very timely discussion. Appreciate you being on for the second time. And now knowing that we need to buy you a jacket, we're going to have to throttle back the number of times we bring you on the podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I heard Davin earlier petition telling you it was a really good podcast. I think he's wanting on here. Yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's chopping up the door. We'll get him. We'll get him. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you, Jet. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thank you, guys. Thanks, Shannon, and thanks, everybody else, for listening. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.